Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We wanted to let you know that Olin's first book, What to Do with Worry, is now available on Audible. You can also purchase physical copies where Christian books are sold. Now, here's Olin. Excited to be here with you all this morning. And, um, you know, sometimes people that work for Campus Outreach, they're maybe new and they're having to speak at something and they're nervous. I tell them, listen, if you can't be good, just at least be short. Nobody will be mad if you're short, all right? I'm going to at least be short this morning because I have another meeting I have to be at after this. So we're going to look at a passage that's very short as well. I know you all are going through the parables. This might be the shortest parable that you've heard yet. And actually it's two back to back, but they're both super short. So just listen if you have a Bible and you want to look. Matthew chapter 13, starting verse 44. But like I said, short, you can just listen. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl, great value, went and sold all that he had and he bought it. So two parables, very similar, a little bit different, but there's one main point that Jesus is trying to make that's important for us even 2,000 years later, okay? Let me just kind of explain the story what it would have been like for the ancient people hearing this. Back then, banks were pretty rare and they weren't very trustworthy. So if you had some treasure, if you had some gold, some silver, what you tended to do is maybe put it in a jar, hide it in your house, maybe even go bury it in the field. But Jewish territory back then, they were invaded by the Romans. They were conquered. Sometimes somebody might die. Nobody knows where the treasure was buried later. Maybe there's like a poor day laborer working out in the field. He finds this treasure. He can't afford to buy a field. He's a poor guy. But what he does is he goes and literally liquidates everything he has, except maybe the clothes on his back, so then he could go buy that field, and now he's a rich man. Now just think about it if this was actually happening, and you're maybe another poor day laborer, and your buddy starts selling everything he has. You think he's crazy, or maybe you think he's in trouble, he's bankrupt, he's about to go to debtor's prison, but he doesn't look worried because it says for joy over it. It's like he's singing and whistling, happy as a lark. And he's like, I'm going to buy this field. And you look at the field and you're like, that field looks boring. There's nothing special about that field. It's rocky, it's old. Why are you selling everything you have for a field? Then he gets the field, he brings out the treasure, and you're like, ah, now it makes sense, Okay. There was something he found of supreme value that was more valuable than everything else he owned in life, willing to sell it so he could buy that one thing. Now, the second parable, similar but different because this is about a rich man. This would have been about a wholesale jeweler, so to speak, a guy going around, purchasing pearls, looking for the best ones. He's got a lot of money. But then one day he comes across a pearl that's so valuable And maybe other people know it's really valuable, but they don't know how valuable it is. But because he's a pearl expert, he knows, man, this is the most valuable pearl of all time. He's willing to sell all the merchandise he already has to get this one pearl and be set for life. Again, people might have thought he was crazy at first, but we actually have records of Cleopatra. You may have heard of her, uh, that she had a pearl that was so big and so valuable. They didn't have synthetic pearls back then. They just had the real thing. If it was in modern day money, it would be worth $4 billion. So imagine finding something that you were smart enough to know this is worth $4 billion. But most people don't realize it's worth $4 billion. So if I sell all my stuff, 
Maybe I'll just have enough to go buy it. And then I'm set for life because I got $4 billion. Let me try to give you a modern example. Okay, imagine that your dad, maybe, he's a car lover. He's always loved cars. And let's say your dad's really wealthy. And so he loves to buy all different kinds of cars. And he's trading them. He's buying them brand new straight up the lot. Works out good for you because he likes to buy you a brand new car. And then one day you come home to your nine-car garage and your dad is selling all his cars. And again, at first you think, what happened, dad? Did you go bankrupt? Are you worried? Are you fearful? What's going on? But your dad, he's like happy and singing and kind of dancing around selling the cars. And you think, man, my dad's going crazy. What's he doing? But then after he sells all these cars and he gets all these millions of dollars, he goes and he says, son, I finally found my dream car. It's like limited one time only Bugatti or something like that. And I'm buying it and I'm so happy. Now, it may stink for you because he sold your car, right? And he's not going to let you drive the Bugatti. But you might understand it. Dad found something that was so valuable, he was willing to give up everything else. Okay? Now, let me try to make it more practical for us because most of us are probably not driving a Bugatti yet. We do this kind of thing all the time. Homecoming, right? Some of you got dates. So this, this will be for the ladies more so. When, when one guy asked you, would you like to be my homecoming date? And maybe he did it in a cool, funny way or whatever in the lunchroom. At that moment, you kind of had a split-second decision. Because if I say yes to going to homecoming with him, there might be this other boy over here I like. And this other boy that's kind of cute, and I think he kind of likes me. But if I say yes to this guy, I'm saying no to those two guys. Make sense? We're making these kind of trades all the time. Maybe you have plans for the party you're going to go to after the game tonight. But it's not with your best friends. It's kind of with your secondary group of friends, not the group you sit with in the lunchroom. But you're like, yeah, I'll come to that. And then your best friends say, hey, this is what we're doing. What do you do? You cancel your first set of plans because the second set of plans sounds better, sounds more valuable. Now, is that a nice thing to do or not? I'm not here to teach etiquette this morning. Okay, I really don't care at some level. Go to the party you want to go to. We're talking about something much bigger, much heavier, much more important, much more life-altering than that. There's a pattern, do you see? In both parables, they find something, then they sell everything so they can buy that one thing. And what I'm trying to say is, guys, at some level, we're all doing this. Because at some level, we were created to do this. It's hardwired into us to look around in life, find the most valuable thing that we can, and then try to get it, even if it costs us a lot of other secondary things that might be good, but they're not great, we're willing to give them up to get the bigger and better thing. And so the first question I wanna ask you just to think about, okay? And I just want you to think about it in your head. And I want you to be really honest. I don't want the Sunday school answer that you'll give later in gap group. I want the honest answer in your own head at least. Have you found something in life that you think this is the best? If I could only have this, then I'd really be happy. Then I'd really have a sense of peace, satisfaction, joy. And, and listen, it might be just popularity. I want to be the greatest athlete. I want to be the greatest athlete at my sport, maybe even two sports. That'd be awesome. You know, be like the next Dion or something. I want a college scholarship. I want to play pro. I want to go to a power five school. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it is one person that you already think you're in love with. And if I can just get this person to like me and we can fall in love, we can get married. I don't know. Have you found something? And maybe it's something you're not supposed to be in love with right now. Sex, drugs, 
porn. I don't know, but you're like, I know it's bad. I know it's hurting me in some sense, but the joy, the pleasure is worth it. I'm willing to take the risk because it feels so good. At some level, we're all doing this. And my question is, do you think you've found it yet or not? Because at some level, whether you want it to be or not, that's what life is about. Life is about searching for the thing that will give you the most joy for the longest amount of time in the deepest way and being willing to trade other things off in your life to get that one thing. Have you found it yet? Where are you looking? Okay. And again, part of what I'm telling you is it's not bad to think that way. It's not way wrong to look that way. I knew, uh, this is a true story. It's not from my family, but I did know two brothers and when they were young, and any time they'd go visit their grandmother, their grandmother would always give them a little bit of money, right? Probably some of you had a grandmother like that. But she was like a very fair grandmother. And so she's like, okay, I want to make sure I give them the exact same amount of money every time. So she'd kind of pull out her purse, and maybe she had a five, and, you know, a couple of ones, and a couple of quarters. And so she would give them the exact same amount of money. You get a one, you get a one, you get a quarter, you get a quarter, you get a nickel, you get a... But the older brother realized that his younger brother thought the coins were more valuable. They're like pirate's gold. And I think the older brother kind of perpetuated this lie. And he's like, the pieces of paper, the dollars, they're not worth very much. Look how boring. They don't make noise. They're not shiny. So every time they left grandma's house, older brother would say to younger brother, you know what? Because I love you so much, I'm going to make you a deal. If you'll give me all those boring bills, like that $20 bill right there, I'll be happy to give you all my pirate's gold. Look at all these pennies I have. And the older brother was basically screwing the younger brother over for years. The younger brother found out later he was very angry. Why do I tell that story? Because a lot of you, and and by this I don't just mean the students, I mean all the adults here in this as well, myself included, we're making stupid trades like that in life all the time. We think we find things in life that look shiny. They look like gold. You know, that would be worth it. And we have other stuff over here that looks boring, just like paper bills. And we're giving away things that are actually more valuable for things that are of lesser value. And it might be fun for a short season, but there's going to be a bitter aftertaste. And and part of the season that you guys are in as high schoolers is you're supposed to be maturing. You're supposed to be honing your discernment skills and realizing what are the things of greater value that I should be willing, happily willing, not like begrudgingly willing, happily willing to trade the things of secondary value for the things of greater value. Again, try to think of what something like that might be in your life. Let's say you're the biggest Taylor Swift fan of all times and you hear she's going to have another concert next year. It's going to be in Birmingham, Alabama, and she's selling this one-time ticket it's, like a back, it's more than a backstage pass. It's more than VIP. It's like, hey, Taylor's going to be in town all weekend and you get to hang out with her and be her best friend and take selfies and go out to eat and maybe go to the lake and party and whatever. What would you be willing to sell for that? If you're like, I'd sell my car for that. Some of you are like, I couldn't care less about Taylor Swift. But maybe you're like, man, if Patrick Mahomes, if he was having a special one-time football camp, And it was going to be one-on-one. Hang out. He's going to train you to be the next greatest NFL quarterback. You're like, I'd sell my car for that. I'd sell my laptop, my Apple Watch, anything I got. I'd start selling some of my parents' stuff and not telling them. Just so I could get the money to buy it because it's so valuable. What is there out there that if you found it, 
You said, man, I'd be willing to sell a lot of stuff to get that because it's so much more valuable. Again, this is not... Sometimes we talk about Christianity like it's sacrifice, it's going to be hard, and there's a place and a time for that. But that's not this parable. This parable is he's selling everything for joy over it. Yeah, in one sense it was a sacrifice, in another sense it's not a sacrifice. He's happy. It's joy. It's joy-driven. It's joy-fueled. A deep sense of inner happiness. So, he finds the one great thing, he sells everything, and then he goes and buys the one greatest thing. What, what could it be? What could it be for you? One thing in life worth so much you sold everything, you get it. Now, let me try to give practical application. And guys, there's really only one thing. I mean, I, I thought about this a lot. There's really only one thing in modern day life that works to say, in a sense, I'm willing to sell everything else, give up my right to everything else to get this one thing. And it's this. It's falling in love and getting married. And you may not be dating right now, but for most of us, there's this again, God-given, hardwired desire. At some point in your life, you want to find that one person, that best friend, and you want to commit and do life with them forever and ever. Just tell you a little bit of my story. I went to Sanford University here in Birmingham, and uh, early on, I met my wife, and I was smitten. I thought she was beautiful. The more I got to know her, she's godly, she's funny, she's smart. She had about everything going for her. She wasn't rich, okay, but you can't have everything, right? Other than that, she, she was like, she was awesome. She was smart, she was funny, she was athletic, she was tough. We got along. And listen, I had other girls that I was friends with, some other girls that I dated, some of the girls that I was attracted to. I was like, maybe I could marry this girl. But if anybody ever said, hey, if you could marry anybody, who's your top number one favorite? I'd be like... Lena, that's who I want. And you know what? At some point, I liked her before she liked me. Eventually, I don't know, she went blind. At some point, I won her over. She decided she loved me. We got married. Still married today. Now, you can ask Witt and Sophia afterwards if you want to. I'm not a crier. They'd probably say, I've never seen my dad cry. I'm not a big crier. But on my wedding day, and I've, I've kind of always been this way, I, I wept like a baby. I mean like ugly cry, Right? And, and like for a long time, uncontrollable crying. And you know why I was crying? It wasn't because there's all these other girls that I'm saying no to. You realize that in a sense, the negative way to look at marriage is there's about 8 billion people on planet Earth. That when you get married, you're saying yes to one person and you're saying no to like 8 billion people forever. All the other fish in the sea, you're saying I'm done. Not going to date you, not going to flirt with you, not going to sleep with you, none of that. And so we're not doing it. When I was ugly crying on my wedding day, as Lena was about to walk down the aisle, you know what? I wasn't thinking about any of those other girls I used to date. I wasn't like sad, like, ah, I kind of like Lena, but what about this other girl? I wasn't thinking about them. I was ugly crying. It was tears of joy. You ever heard that? Okay. Maybe you've never had it. I had it at least one of my, once in my life. I was overwhelmed with joy to be marrying my dream girl. And 25 years later, I still pretty much feel the same way. You know, I don't sit around with regret like, well, you know, there was this one. It was a great trade. No to billions of other people to say yes for one. Great trade. Second best trade I've ever made in my whole life. We're all making a trade, guys. Okay? Now... Y'all know where this is going, right? 
Jesus Christ is the hidden treasure. Jesus Christ is the pearl of great price. And some of you are like, blah, blah, blah. I've been here at Briarwood now for 18 years and it's shoved down my throat. And I think Jesus is boring and I think the Bible's boring. I think chapel's boring. Remember, the field would have looked really boring. But the guy that took the time to dig in the right place, he found out the treasure that was worth selling everything else. And if you still think the Bible, Christianity, Jesus looks really boring, you haven't dug enough. It's on you. Because there's nothing wrong with Jesus. And what I would exhort you to, take just the book of Matthew. Fairly short. Read it on your own. Read it slowly. Read it deeply. Not for a grade in Bible class. And try, pray and ask God to give you spiritual eyes to see and discern the great worth of the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation. Guys, I lead a Bible study over at Sanford. I've got a guy in there, younger Christian, new Christian. And, uh, and he grew up in a godly family, church. I think he went to a Christian school when he was in high school. And he, recently, he was talking to me. He's dating a girl. And the good thing about Bible studies in college is they don't have to come, right? Like their parents don't make them go. It's not part of chapel. Like they come because they want to. So they tend to be really raw and honest. I love it. And he's like, hey, man, I need to tell you something. He's like, I'm dating this girl and uh, really, really, really want to have sex. And I'm like, I get it, right? Been there. I get it. I was like, but you know, I mean, he's smart enough to know the Bible says you really want to follow Christ. You don't have sex till you get married. And I said, well, what you got to think is Christ loved you enough to die for you, enough to suffer hell for you. You got to love him enough in return to say you're willing to wait a few years for sex. And this is his quote back to me almost verbatim. He said, I guess so. Jesus took hell for me. I guess I can wait five or six years to have sex. Seems like a pretty good trade. I was like, you're right. It's a freaking amazing trade. We're all making a trade. Are you making the wise trade? Are you making a saving trade? Are you making a stupid trade that one day you're going to grow up and you realize that you've been trading the most valuable stuff that looked boring for what you thought was pirate's gold? It's going to turn out to be a bunch of pennies that aren't going to help you in life. So let me just kind of say this, guys, by way of conclusion. Because you're like, I ain't doing that. I, I'm, not, I'm not wasting my time reading the book of Matthew. Heard enough of it. Here's why you should value Jesus Christ more than everything else in life. And be willing to give it all away to get him. He was sitting in heaven. He was the rich man. Perfect discernment. He knows a pearl of great price when he sees it. And he looked down and he saw sinful, rebellious people like me and you, and we weren't valuable. We weren't worthy. We weren't worth it. We weren't a good trade. But because he has such great love, great compassion, great mercy, he said, I'm willing to literally trade everything. My place in heaven, my privilege, my safety, my security, my joy, my happiness, my life. My blood, my relationship with my father to save people that aren't worth it. That's his love. That's how he valued and prized us above all things. And guys, when that sinks in beyond your mind into the basement of your heart, you start to say, yeah, there's a lot of things in life that I like that are fun, that are good, that I still want. But Jesus is better. Jesus is worth it.
Jesus' salvation if you sell everything, you trust in him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I beg of you to take these old truths that most of us have heard for years and make them new in a powerful and saving and sanctifying way. I pray all this in the name only of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teachings.